Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we welcome David Dennis Jr. He is a senior writer at ESPN's Anscape and a cultural critic who is named one of The Root's 100 Most Influential African Americans in 2020. I sat down to speak with him about his new book, The Movement Made Us, A Father, A Son, and the Legacy of a Freedom Ride. It's a blend of oral history and memoir telling the story of his father, David Dennis Sr., and his role as an organizer in the 1960s civil rights movement as a freedom writer, part of the leadership of CORE and COFO, and a young man confronting his own mortality. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. The Stacks book club pick for June is White Negroes, When Cornrows Were in Vogue, and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation by Lauren Michelle Jackson. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, June 29th with David Dennis Jr. Listen, The Stacks is a completely independent podcast made possible only by the support of our listeners. I cannot stress this enough. I would not be able to make this show each week without the support of the Stacks Pack, our incredible bookish community on Patreon. If not for them, there would be no show. So if you like the podcast and you want to show your love, plus earn perks like bonus episodes with some of your favorite authors and readers, shout outs on this very podcast, monthly book club chats and more, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. And speaking of those shout outs, here are some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack. Clementine Ford, Regina Wade, Carrie Williams, Summer Journey, Liza Maisonette, and Sydney Van Wolven. Thank you all so much. And thank you, thank you, thank you to my dear friends, the entire Stacks Pack. And now it's time for my conversation with David Dennis Jr. Okay, everybody, I'm very excited. Uh, Today, my guest is David Dennis Jr. The junior is important in this case because he wrote a book called The Movement Made Us with his father, who is, you guessed it, David Dennis Sr., civil rights hero. It's an oral history. David also does a bunch of other stuff, which we're going to talk about too. But for now, just welcome to the sex. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this all week. I'm really excited to talk to you. I was just telling you offline that I just finished the book this morning and I love your dad very much. And I have so many questions about the book. But before we get to that, can you sort of tell people about yourself? I've, you don't know this, but I've given you a proper introduction that lists all your professional things. Okay. So you don't have to do that. You can tell us a little bit more about like who you are. Uh, let's see. What what about me? So I'm a writer, of course. Um, and people can't see, but you can see I am a uh, comic book nerd and hip hop fan, and living right outside of Atlanta right now, um, with my wife and two kids. And what else do you want to know? I think that's that's uh, all the like the non worker stuff that I do. Where were you born? Oh, born in Lafayette, Louisiana, raised in Jackson, Mississippi. And then I went to uh, school at Davidson College, which I reference every once in a while. Shout Um, out to Steph Curry. Yep, yep. And then... And Clint um, Smith. Yes, and Clint. (laughs) They're both okay. So um, we've had a pretty good 36 hours between the three of us. Uh, So, yeah. Well, Steph has not. Well, he played. He played. He He missed a lot of shots. 
People yeah, are going to be but, hearing this in June, so this may sound like insane, but we're talking about after game two versus Memphis when Steph and Clay basically scored nine points, which is exactly how many points I also scored in that game. So it was <laughs> awesome for us. It's okay, but by by the time people listen to this, the Warriors would be um, on the way to a championship. So, <sighs> Knock on wood, I'm so superstitious. I hope that you're right. Um, I already told David because Steph Curry tweeted or posted about his book that if the Warriors did not win the championship, it was actually going to be David's entire fault because Steph has never tweeted about your book before. And so uh, now it's on you. So Well, it's, it's on Drake. So Drake bet on the Warriors. And so Ugh. we have to, you know, you got to overcome the Drake curse. I so. know it's a nightmare. There's a lot. Yeah. Of, I'm very stressed. Okay. Let's start with the book. Then we'll talk about other things. So okay. the book is sort of an oral history, sort of. Because mm-hmm. you talk to your dad, he tells you his stories, and then you write them. Mm-hmm. The, it's not direct quotes necessarily. Right. So can mm-hmm. you explain sort of how you thought about approaching that? Because usually with oral history, it's just like the person said this and I wrote it down. Yeah. So it was um, originally like a, a very like journalistic book, you know, and or the, in the proposal stage, it was very journalistic. And it was like whatever dad said, I would just write and try to make it not boring, but just write exactly as it was. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of dry, you know, it was like a dry retelling of stuff that, you know, it's not, it didn't really have the emotional impact. I mean, the, the stories are episodic on their own. Like they just naturally happened that way. You don't have to do a lot of sort of massaging the story to make it, you know, dramatic. They just, what they are, it's what happened. But you know, they, you, you still have to, you know, I wanted to put you there, you know, if I'm writing in first person, I want to write it like I was there. And so I had to almost write like a fiction, like a novel, like mm. fiction writer. And uh, which I was totally unqualified. Like I had no idea. <laughs> like I haven't written fiction in like since I was like 15 or whatever, you know, so I'd sort of given it up and had, was only reading fiction for like fun. I was never reading fiction for form or style. Right. And so I took myself through like a, like a lit one-on-one, like Red Invisible Man again, like just okay. because <laughs> I felt like you just need to read books that are like fiction and read a lot of Toni Morrison. Cause like you just should, if you're trying to do that. And so, you know, I would get his stories and then I would write, you know, research, whatever the blanks were. Cause there were blanks, you know, right. there were like, he like from, all accounts from people who have interviewed and talked to dad, he has a really, really good memory for a lot of things. Um, but there are some blanks, obviously, due to the fact that, I mean, this is traumatic stuff that happened and you, you know, block it out. And then also stuff he hasn't thought about, you know, like what was the color of the carpet in the room or what was, right. you know, like that sort of stuff. And so it was a combination of researching and trying to get all that together. But then also sometimes I would just like write what, kind of I thought might have happened you know mm-hmm. and then I would go back to him and so me just writing like fiction sort of would jog the memories back for Got him it. interesting and he was sort of better at telling me what didn't happen you know like that's not right what right, happened right. but oh yeah this is exactly what happened and so hmm. it was a lot of back and forth and you know the pandemic hit in the middle of the book process so it was like zoom and you would just go line by line and I would just, you know, because there'd be parts where I'd be like, I, to get from point A to B, I would just sort of be like, this is what happened. And so it would trigger the synapses or whatever. And he would remember um, almost too much, like too much. Because like by <laughs> December, I was like, dad, you can't remember anything else. Like you can't, like we have to turn <laughs> it's this done. Like, It's done. It's done. Please, if you remember something else or something different, just don't tell me. Don't tell and, anybody. Uh, don't tell anybody. Yeah, this, <laughs> right. You got to take it to your grave, my guy. Right. Yeah. That's so, so yeah. funny. Okay. I didn't do a good job of setting up who your dad is. I sort of said he was okay. like a hero, but I think we should probably tell the people that your dad was on the first Freedom Ride bus in mm. 1961. Mm-hmm. And he was an organizer with CORE. And then is it pronounced COFO? Yeah, COFO. Yeah. I'd never heard that before. I got to say, yeah. I learned a lot in this book. Mm. It was sort it sort of was upsetting how much I mm. learned because I sort of felt like we just don't talk about nearly enough of the people who are involved in the civil rights movement. But also, I was really struck. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping ahead. But I was really struck by how much actual organizing mm. versus like marching happened. Right. Mm. Like it's like we think of the civil rights movement as like, 
Martin Luther King and like a thousand black people marched down the street <laughs> and right. like sort of erase the work that your father was doing, which is he sort of started more like a behind the scenes guy. I mean, he sort of always was more of a behind right. the scenes guy, but he really started that way. He was like, mm. I'm not getting arrested. I'm <laughs> trying to graduate college. Like this girl is cute. I want to hang out with her, but like, I don't want to go to jail. Right. Um, but, and then that sort of eventually he, he joins in, obviously he, he does the freedom rides. He, it becomes like his whole identity, his whole world. And so this book is you kind of chronicling those experiences. And he was in Shreveport, Louisiana. He was in Mississippi all over. He was in Baton Rouge for a little bit. So yeah, that's your dad. I just, I feel like we should tell people because we like sort of right, dove yeah. it and then they're going to be like, what are they talking about? And he was like, you know, nearly killed too many times to count. Mm. He was close to... A lot of people that were killed, um, notably Medgar Evers, and I'm going to fuck up their names. I should have written them all down. James Cheney, Mickey, I guess Michael, is that was for Michael? Michael, yeah, yeah. what's his Schwerner. last name? Warner and... Schwerner, it, Schwerner. Schwerner yeah. and Andy yeah. Goodman. Yeah, uh-huh. I guess Andrew. I, your your dad talks about them like, you know, Mickey and Andy. Right, so that's right, how yeah. I think about it in the book. But anyways, Andrew, I should be more respectful, which were um, three civil rights activists who were killed in 1964. So yes, I, is that, does that feel like a yeah, fair yeah. representation yeah. of everything? Okay. So my next question for you is how long had you been thinking about doing this? And then when did you actually decide to do it? So I had always thought that I would write dad's stories, you know, like even as a kid, I was hearing them. And then even as I started thinking of myself as a writer or wanting to be a writer, I was like, one day I'll do dad stories. And my, when I, but biographies, you know, when I was like 15 or 16, like I didn't understand what a memoir was, didn't know what a memoir mm. was. I was mm-hmm. thinking like biographies, right? right? And I don't know about you, but for me, like I hated reading biographies when I was in high school because it was like that middle, that, that middle time, you know, like there's like an exciting thing that happened and there's like uh, six months where yeah. you kind of like just do nothing. <laughs> it's like they were like, healing from a wound yeah They're like like organizing their papers <laughs> yeah exactly like i got a job and i did and i was like i i, I don't i don't want to write about that stuff you know right. i don't want to do that and so when i was in my senior year of high school my english teacher miss alex davis williams who i will be saying her name to the moon we read the things they carry Ugh. which yeah right so good oh my yeah. god no one talks about that book enough Uh. Yeah. So we read the things they carried and, you know, it's short stories, like short stories about Vietnam. Right. And so I was like, oh, I think this is the way I could do this book. Like I could do short stories. I could skip the like the, you know, stuff I don't want to write and just do these like really cool stories. Exactly how my dad told them. Right. And I told Ms. Williams, I said, Ms. Williams, I think I think this is how I want to write my dad's book. And the coolest thing ever is, you know, Ms. Williams is a is white teacher in Mississippi and teaching public school black kids and she goes I'm gonna hold you to that Mm. you know and like there's a million different things she could have said you know and so every time I'd see her especially after I graduated she'd be like are you working on that book you know how's how's the book coming and just like Mm -hmm. I kept thinking about Ms. Williams the whole time you know and so as my writing career was going I was like you know eventually I'll do dad's book like I'm I'm gonna do dad's book I was like I had a plan. I was like, I'm gonna get a couple like essay books under my belt. <laughs> like I just thought books, you could just write books whenever. So I was like, I'll just do like a couple essay books, maybe. And then I'll do dad's book when I know how to write books. And that's not how it works. You know, like dad, <laughs> dad is he's 80 years old, you know, and we're also in the middle of, you know, Trump has been elected and it's like, all right, I got, we got to do this sort of now, you know? Mm-hmm. And so about 2017, 2018, I really started like, let's dad, let's do some interviews. Let me jot down some of these stories. Let's get an agent. Let's try to actually do this and and make it work. So it's been about five years of actually actual working on the book. And it's really sort of still kind of modeled after the things they carried Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. There's like some reference, some um, sort of literary references to it in in the book. But what I learned is that I didn't have, like, I heard dad's stories, but I didn't know the dates. I didn't have all the dates, the chronology. Mm-hmm. And, like, there was no, like, boring time. <laughs> you right. know, like, there was no, there was no, like, six months where he was just, like, 
kicking it, calling people, and you know, so it it ends up being more so, more you know, like chronological and biographical. But there's just no downtime, which was one of the sort of striking things about hearing his story sort of in order. Did you know before you actually started interviewing him what you had? in his stories. Like, I'm sure you'd heard some of the stories and I know in the book you Mm -hmm. talk about how like he doesn't remember things and and you just mentioned that, but like when you were like, I want to write my dad's story, did you know it was going to be this compelling and like intense or, or did you think maybe you had like a little something, something? Yeah. I was like, I knew I had, I I knew I had probably like five really good stories. You know, like I was like, I knew, just there were five, like probably five. Like I knew the Goodman Cheney Schmore and I knew his last time with with um, Medgar. I knew a little bit of the Shreveport stuff, you know. So there were like probably five where I was like, I can build a book around five really good mm-hmm. stories. And then I was like, whoa, like there's a new, there's like too many stories. Like we yeah. cut, we had to cut so many stories out of this thing um, because there's just so much. And then the like, un, like I said, understanding the timeline of like this stuff would happen. Like I knew the dad had gone to was involved in the Harlem riots, right? Mm. And but I didn't understand that this happened like in between Goodman yeah. Cheney Schwerner being missing and the like I didn't understand the overlap and that this stuff was just like nonstop. You know, yeah. like it was just nonstop stuff. So it sort of built I didn't understand how it would build upon itself to sort of get to this, you know, nineteen sixty four moment. Right. I mean, the truth is, if this was fiction, I would never believe that one person was involved in so many of these like mm-hmm. pivotal moments. You know, if this was fiction, historical fiction about the civil rights movement, I'd be like, OK, David's kind of he's doing a lot. Like, does <laughs> yeah. he have to be everywhere? Like, give me a right. break. But knowing that it's true, it's like, holy shit. Well, he's like, I would always call him the black forest Gump because he just like <laughs> yeah. it just was like in like there's just like so many just like he um I wa- he watched One Night in Miami. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And texted me the next morning. He was like, it was a good movie. I, I remember meeting all four of them. I was like, what? Oh my <laughs> what are you gosh. like? What's That's going on? so yeah. funny. Um, I know. I, yeah, I definitely was thinking like, I'm glad this is true because no one would no one would buy this book if it was fiction. Right. They'd be like, OK, <laughs> right. like, is this a Disney movie? Like he's everywhere and right. he lives like this is insane. OK, this is the thing that I really want to talk to you about. And I I don't know. This, these questions might be like too aggressive. So you tell me if I'm being crazy and we can <laughs> we can skip it. But. The big like theme in the book is about like, you know, surviving even though a person is like willing to or expecting to die. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's not just a story about survival. It's sort of about a story of survival in spite of this like openness to death. Do you think that your dad wishes that he had died doing the work? Yeah. Um, well, I don't think he, I don't know if he wishes he had died, but I know that he has survivor's guilt Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that part of it is that like you kind of, when you expect to die and all, and so many of your friends are dying, especially so young, but also like as he's gotten older, like his friends are just dying. Like Bob Moses died in the process of writing this book, you know? Mm. And I, and I, I wonder sometimes if, there's a feeling of the it he didn't complete the job or didn't do enough because he didn't die, you know? Right. And there's just so much and there's so many times he could have, you right. know, obviously. Right. And you know, I, I we talk about it a lot. We I asked him about it. Like, you know, but I think the thing that he sort of comes back to is that if he had, then he wouldn't have, you know, this family and children right. and grandchildren, things like that. So that sort of keeps that at bay, mm. you know. But I think that if not for that, if he hadn't sort of done some of the work to get the family, you know, to get back together or, you know, have these mm-hmm. better relationships than he did, I think that would probably I think and I think he probably spent decades and all that stuff in between just feeling that way, like he wished he to die in the movement. Yeah. I mean, there's a part in the book. I can't I think I think it's in his, one of his sections where he talks about sort of like the feelings and the reactions to the violence and the death and the murder, like that that is a responsibility of white supremacy to deal with and mm-hmm. not a reflection of the activist or the activist's mm-hmm. success. And I found that to be really interesting because I think, you know, clearly in your dad's story, there's so much survivor's guilt. There's so much feeling of, you know, like you said, that the work wasn't finished or that, you know, the job wasn't done and that that's 
a failure in some ways on him. And it was mm. interesting to sort of hear him also in the same kind of breath say that getting murdered isn't a success story for an activist. Mm. Like that's right. that's a horror story for a white person. Like that's the, mm. that's their guilt. Okay, back to this survival thing. What do you think it means to survive when you feel that you're destined to die? That's a good question. I think it takes a lot of time to sort of figure out uh, what's next. You know, I think dad not dying really made it hard. Like you don't, I think about Breaking, like did you watch Breaking Bad? Did you watch? I did watch Breaking Bad. Yeah. Like it reminds me, like when I watched the scene where Walt, you know, they said his cancer was gone Mm -hmm. and he was like, he punches the the air thing in the bathroom. It's like, you plan to die. Like when you, that's all he planned for mm-hmm. was to die, mm-hmm. you know? And so now it's like, okay, you're on the other side of this thing. Like, what do, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, it sort of makes me think about um, George Raymond, who is a, you know, sort of a pivotal figure in, in the book. Um, and, you know, he had sort of, he was younger when, when he started in the movement, when the freedom rise, he was like 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. And so was constantly like, he sort of saw the, the movement he took it like with adventure you know so there was like he would do a lot of almost like pranky type of stuff and you know um like at one point he had stuffed it he like the sheriff of canton was like every time i see you i'm a kiki in the butt like literally and so he like stuffed his overalls with newspaper and like (laughs) like ran to him and you know antagonized him he kicked him and it didn't feel anything and it was like you know that was just how he took it as adventure right and so but when it when after the Civil Rights Act and it was sort of quote unquote over, like he sort of didn't know how to, you know, reintegrate himself into society. It's like right. you at the end of war and, you know, he drank a lot and he died of heart failure at 30, you mm-hmm. know? And I think dad is sort of the, was sort of, that's what it was. Like you plan to die, you go every day thinking you're going to die. And then the next thing is just like, now I got to like have a life. Right. And I think that's just, you know, that's just a, a hard way to sort of re recalibrate your brain. You know? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to come off this. I was very struck by that part of the story, by how many mm. times your dad kind of says like, I'm ready to die. I was ready to die. Like mm. it comes in so early and it clearly seems like something that he is still, you know, 60 years later, really grappling with like this, right. this surviving this thing that he wasn't planning to survive. Um, which I just don't, I don't think we talk about that really at all. You know, even when we're talking about soldiers, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times when we talk, especially now, like when we talk about soldiers, we expect them to come home or to survive. And this was sort of the opposite of like, I'm planning to die here. Like this is supposed to be the end for me. And it just, it really wasn't. It was like a quarter of your dad. Not, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was only a quarter through his life at that point. I mean, who knows? Maybe even less, depending on how long your dad, right. your dad lives. But you know well, what I'm I mean, saying? And, up to now. Yeah, and I mean, and there was no, and there was no place to return from. Yeah. You know, like there, like there was no, like, you know, you go to war and you know your final, you go home on right June, whatever. Like there was no, like, there's no place to mark it on the calendar. Yeah, you know? and it wasn't like when the Civil Rights Act was passed or whatever, or the Voting Rights Act was passed that like everything was fixed. It's not like leaving right. a. a a theater or whatever they call it. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So part of this book sort of ties back into like you and, and, mm. and your kind of witnessing of the black lives matter movement and being, being there and writing about it and stuff. What do you, uh, so I don't even know what the question is, but what I do know is that I think thinking about the civil rights movement and the black lives matter movement, a lot of people are like, Oh, there that this is our civil rights movement. But mm. do you feel like that is real? Do you feel like that's, misguided given what you know do you feel like that's an accurate comparison um i don't know like i didn't i didn't want to do the like um civil rights man tells black lives like the self-help right, 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 right. From, from the civil rights guys like <laughs> right, right. you know 12 steps for black lives matter right, right, right to right. get us free or whatever <laughs> but i i wanted there to be like i didn't really think of it and i still don't sort of don't think of it in that sort of comparison sense you know because i i'm not on the ground in that sort of way right 
in the, you know, like I'm not, I, I don't know. Like I, I don't, all I can do, all I was can do and like was hopefully trying to do a little bit was like, this is what dad did and those mm-hmm. folks did. And if you can glean something from that, that can help now, that would be really awesome. You yeah. know, <laughs> like if you could just like, you know, cause there was, cause there were like some things that folks would tell me, you know, I talk to people and they would be like, well, we're just, you know, like we're just arguing all the time. Like we're in Ferguson, there's different groups and we just mm. can't get, you know, we're arguing like, it wasn't like this, they'd be like, you know, it wasn't like this back then. They were so united and all that. And it was like, not totally, you know, like, like you don't, you know, you don't have to have this idealized, I, you know, thinking of what these folks were doing back then. Right. Like these are real people and these are kids and they made mistakes. They disagreed. Some of them don't like each other still, <laughs> you right, know, right, and right. that's normal part of, of getting, you know, trying to get to the com- a common goal. Right. I don't I, know if that answers your question at no, all. No, it does a little bit. I mean, for me, what was striking to me is like, I think that people compare the two a lot. And in mm. reading your book, I was like, they don't actually feel that similar to me. Right. Yeah. Because I think part of like the catalyst for, you know, the civil rights movement was like this attempt to get to get certain rights and to enlist people in the activism. Mm. And I feel like Black Lives Matter is is much more a response to like the police killings and that oftentimes Mm. like, you know, in the civil rights movement, the people who died were in the movement before they died. Whereas Mm -hmm. now I feel like the people who become like who are killed become part of the movement because of their death. Right. And like that Mm -hmm. was really, and I never thought about it that way. I'm sure that like the organizing part around and a lot of the action and stuff is, is similar, but sort of Mm. the way that the, that these like martyred, people black people happened in these two movements feels really different to me mm. um and i don't know i don't know if that means something i don't know if that does something to how we as people who are not in you know the movements like organizing in the movements think about them but mm. that was something that really like stood out to me okay i want to talk to you about something that has been on my mind for maybe a month now it's okay. Very, Uh-oh. very important. Yes, it's an uh-oh moment. Uh-oh. Like about a month ago, I posted a picture and it had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in it. And you commented on the picture and you said, we need to talk about your peanut butter and jelly. And mm. I think I responded like we do and you never responded again. So please tell me what I have done and what offended me, you. I, okay, I need, to, I, need to look, I need to look at your, your peanut butter. I'm, I need to go back to I've been thinking about post. this for, for, for like at least a month, I feel. Um, scroll back the entire month. Keep, keep all this in. I want them yeah. to keep all of this scrolling in. Okay, it's from February 21st. Okay, I got it. I'm here. Okay. All right, yeah. So I had, que- it was mostly I had questions about the prep, about okay. what's, about how this, how you're doing okay. this. Okay, go ahead. Bread. What bread are we using? So this was a honey wheat. It's from Target. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I'm a little, little, yeah. All right. Okay. The artis, artisanal bread is like. Okay. I, that's what that's, I used to use, but then they started making yeah. their slices a little too thick for me. I don't need a huge thick slice of bread. I don't even like okay. wheat bread. It's really just because I try to feed my kids healthy things. So I get. Yeah. I, you it. don't have to do wheat. You can just do the white artisanal bread. We don't have to do it's wheat. Too thick. Like it's wheat, too thick. It's, but it's like. <laughs> It's peanut butter and jelly. Like, you don't need to try to do wheat. It's already peanut butter and jelly. It's already, like... Okay, fair. But this is honey wheat. It's, like, barely wheat. It's pretty processed. Yeah, so might as well just go white. Okay. Just might as well go, go, go thick white bread. That was sort of... It was it was well-sliced. I will give you a well-sliced. It's a really sliced. good diagonal slice. I know I was putting it on Instagram, so I don't normally cut my grilled cheese... Or my peanut butter and jelly in half, because I like to eat around yeah. the edges first and then get the really juicy stuff on the inside. Okay, all right. I can... I can respect that. Okay. What kind of jelly are we talking about here? Strawberry bon maman. Really bougie shit. You know, you know what I'm okay, talking about? Okay. All right. Is, yeah. I have no clue what that no, is. Yeah, you've seen it. No. You've seen it. It's the bougie jelly uh, jam and it comes in like sort of like it's really round. It has a red and white um, like okay. tablecloth print top, but it's like rounder in the jar. It's not as narrow as a Smucker's moment. Okay. And so if I look very closely, mm-hmm. right, it looks like you peanut buttered both sides, both I slices didn't. and jellied the middle. I don't do that. I, because okay. here's what I do. I do jelly first and then I usually lick the knife <laughs> to make sure it's clean <laughs> before I then stick okay. all my bacteria into the peanut butter. Okay. Smooth. Not a COVID safe no. way to do. Well, I'm not sharing my peanut butter with anyone outside of my bubble. It's just me and my kids. Okay. And, my, and my husband has his own because he likes crunchy. I like creamy. It's a gif okay. mo- or it's a skippy moment. Um, okay. And yeah, that's the peanut butter. 
Okay. But I didn't right. do both sides. It's just the bottom. Okay. Yeah. All right. But it, it's probably because I it's sliced a, with the knife, you can see it. I, it does look a little residual like I did both, which is would be so intense. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> that, was my, that was my. So it was mostly just I wanted to survey. Okay. The, uh, you know, the, me, me, and, uh, me and Clint also have very intense. Okay. What's your um, thoughts about peanut butter and jelly setup besides the artisano white bread? So artisano, like very light toasted. Like oh, you put toasted. it in the toaster. Like very light though, mm. like like ten seconds in the toaster. Okay, just okay. so it can just so it makes the little noise, okay. but like <laughs> okay. nothing more. Okay, and then you know peanut butter on one side, regular smooth, and then I do like the very processed jelly. I do very like sugary smuckers, grape smucker, strawberry. Strawberry. Okay. Sometimes I do grape smucker if I have strawberry. it, but I like strawberry yes. best. And then we just then we just go for it. Okay. Okay. I don't I don't yeah. think that you should toast a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's just me. Um, even a little bit. I I actually uh-huh. put my bread in the refrigerator so that it's cold. I like kind of That's a chilled the moment. Craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> what? I, I, I well what? also if you keep it in the fridge, it doesn't like go moldy as fast. And so yeah, we do a refrigerated bread moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so important to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got cold bread. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich mm-hmm. is the wildest thing I've ever heard in my entire it's life. It's delicious. You should try it. I, I will was, try I was, gonna, I was I was about to 8.5 your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and it has now been... Well, you've never tried it points. this way, so how could you know? What if it's actually at now a 10? But cold bread is like, who ever wants cold bread? Well, is your jelly coming out of the refrigerator? Yeah. Okay, so you already but have a chilled it element. The, it doesn't have the power to... It's not frozen to, bread. It's just chilled. It's perfect. Yeah, but I will not but take light, this. But if you have the if you have a light toasted bread, it adds a little bit of meltiness to the peanut butter, so it makes it even. I don't more like creamy. melty peanut butter. I think this is the thing. I like a I like my peanut. The peanut butter gets everywhere. I don't like a melty peanut butter. I don't like if I go get a bagel and I have peanut uh, butter, which I don't do. But even with cream cheese, if it's too toasted and they put it on right away, then it's too melty and it's drippy. Like just push the toaster button like down mm-hmm. and then count to like. Seven. Okay, I have a toaster like a, oven, then, so I'm gonna have to kind of change. I don't have a regular yeah, just like traditional a, toaster. Just like a regular, just like seven seconds. Okay, I'm gonna That's try it. I hope that you yeah. will be open to trying my way, and we can compare notes next month when okay, we come I, back I, to talk about <laughs> white girls. When we come, when we come back, we'll eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. The other as person we do. ways. Yeah. Oh my yes, god, this is yeah. the best podcast ever. This is now peanut butter and jelly podcast. Okay. Wait, one more thing I want to talk to you about. So, in addition to writing this book, you're also a sports pop culture journalisty person at what is now called Anscape, but people would mm. formally know it as the website known as the undefeated. Is that a dream job? Because to me that feels like a dream job. Yeah, it is. It was like, so for hopefully by now people will see me lots of times, <laughs> but yesterday, like literally 24 hours ago, I did around the horn for the first time. <sighs> right, a dream, and, a dream, a dream, a dream. Oh yeah. And so that was like, wow, this is a, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a dream job type of thing. Right. And like, I have to tell myself, you know, like, yeah, you're at ESPN and like, you get to do that sort of stuff. But like, sometimes, like, I, you know, sometimes we focus too much on just work, you right. know, and not what, how kind of dreaminess it is. Like I was freelancing at Undefeated for many years and did like a whole bunch of cool stuff. Like I did, um, you know, been to like all-star weekends and like, like one weekend they were like we just want you to cover the super bowl parties in atlanta and that was all i did for like a weekend you know like so fun. there's there's like a lot of cool stuff so i have to sort of get out of that idea of like you know work like even now we're like five days from the book and like yesterday was the first day i was like all right i'm gonna try to enjoy this like time right you know right right, right. it's all just like yeah, and you know, like a lot of people do that, especially like black folks. Like you just think about work and making sure you're stable and the next thing you got to do. And so, I'm trying to enjoy. It. But yeah, it does feel like there are days where it feels like a really cool dream job. To me, it's a dream job. Is basketball your A one sport? Yeah, basketball is. And who's your team? So, my team is the Warriors. Okay, relatable, very of, relatable. Yeah. Like, you know, well, it's mostly, I mean, obviously it's because of Steph, like we're right. classmates and, and buddies and all that stuff. So, you know, if he left the Warriors, I'd be like cheering for the, the team that he's on. And if he, and when he retires, who knows who I'll, okay. where I'll go, you know. But did you grow up, who did you grow up rooting for? The Hawks? No. No, I mean, I was in, um, so I was just like, 
No, like uh, like Michael Jordan. Oh, you know, okay. like I just like I, I kind of floated. I would never really had a, a like I was when I was in Chicago for grad school. I liked uh, you know, I was like I'm gonna be a Bulls fan for a little bit, got it, got it. you know, and then so I was I've never really had like a long like I'm not so much a football. Well, I got I guess I'm sort of everything now that I've been like yeah. studying sports like a madman, right, right, right. um, but. I grew up a Saints fan. Like, that was my big thing. I was, okay. like, a huge Saints fan. And so that was what I cared about the most. But basketball, just like Jordan and, like, any cool player that would come along. Got it. Got it. And what about baseball? Not, not, no, really. not really. You know, like, I, I'm more, when it comes to baseball, I'm just more, like, thinking about the social Got it. whatever stuff with, with, with baseball. But, I, I, like I said, I've been watching more, watching more everything and trying to, you know, like, I'm always sort of cognizant of, the larger what's going on right, right in right. all the sports but in terms of like sitting down digging in it's it's mostly basketball okay okay i'll stop quizzing you about sports um <laughs> but i could i i kick myself in the butt that i didn't just do like a sports podcast because that's really what i want to talk about a lot of times uh, when i get like authors on who are sports people because i'm like let's talk about sports um but but i, but I want so you've been a war you've been a warriors fan forever yeah i'm from oakland Right. Okay. So I grew up, my, my dad got season tickets to the Warriors when I was in middle school and that was when oh, they were really okay. bad. Um, uh-huh. That was like the 13 win season and we had two seats. And so my mom would get uh-huh. to go to like the good games, like against the Lakers. Cause those were like, uh-huh. you know, it was, cause it was all about who would come to town when your team's so bad, mm. it doesn't matter. And so I would get, my brother would get the like mid tier games and then I would get mm. the Clippers, the Kings and the Timberwolves. And so I became like a very big Kevin Garnett fan. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Because he it was all I always got to see him and I knew he was like tall and famous. But so I, I grew up a Warriors fan, a San Francisco Giants fan and a 49ers fan. Gotcha. OK. Yeah. So um, Baron Davis, uh, Baron Davis was like my favorite for a long time. Love Baron Davis. I was at the um, when when the Warriors got good, uh-huh. like when they beat Dallas, like I think in like 2008 or nine, I got to go to the next series. I think it was uh-huh. like Utah or whatever. Yeah. It's like where that, po- that like poster. Where he dunked like, on Kirilenko and showed his nipple. I was at that game. The, yep. The, I was at that the game. Nipple, the nipple dunk. Yeah. yeah. I think that was on Mother's Day and uh-huh. we, my dad got us all tickets to go. But me and my brother sat in like very bad seats and my mom and my dad got to sit in like our good seats. But that was like my first ever NBA playoff game. Mm-hmm. And, and since then, you know, I mean, before then but also since just love the Warriors being good right. and it's so annoying because people are like oh I'm a Warriors fan I'm like okay but I'm a Warriors right. fan <laughs> like I remember when our mascot was Thunder right. who we had to get rid of when Seattle went to Oklahoma and then they became the Thunder and then we had to get rid of our mascot mm. which still help, obviously have not forgiven right. anybody for that blame David Stern sorry that you're dead but honestly <laughs> you shouldn't have done that to the children of Oakland uh. But yeah, big. I was a huge Matt Barnes fan for my mm. 21st birthday. My brother had a friend who knew him and he signed a birthday card for me. <laughs> I was like, does that say Matt Barnes? <laughs> so, just a very, you know, weird, weird kid who had like very strong feelings about. I still am have very strong feelings about players specifically. Like, yeah. On my team. Um, OK, we have to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. 
If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. Okay, so I didn't prep you for this, but we do this thing called Ask the Stacks where someone writes in for a book recommendation. Mm. I'm going to read to you what they wrote. You're going to give me at least one recommendation. This is from Teddy. And Teddy says, I'm looking for a book to get me back into reading. It's been a while since I've actually finished a book. Generally, I like murder mysteries and autobiographies. I loved A Long Way Gone, Memoirs of a Boy Soldier by Ishmael Bea. I can't really think of a book I didn't care for recently. I do love fantasy in my shows and movies, but I don't really read it. And I want something that will keep me in suspense and not wanting to put the book down. I can go first. You can. Yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot of. Basically, it's a murder mystery and or autobiography. Okay. All right. Okay. Here's Teddy. Here's what I think. My first pick, I think because I finished your book today, I was sort of inspired by <laughs> your dad's book, which would be a, actually a really good one. Um, I guess it's not your dad's book. It's your book about your dad. Mm. Anyways, um, or your guys' book together. I picked Asada by Asada Shakur. Uh, mm-hmm. It's her sort of memoir biography. It's really, really good. Um, I picked Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. It is not an autobiography, but it is sort of a murder. It's not a murder. The mountain, spoiler, the mountain did it. It's people climbing Mount Everest. But it's really, really captivating and really engaging nonfiction. And then I picked The Dead Are Arising by Les and Tamara Payne, which is about a biography of Malcolm X. So I guess it's not an autobiography, but I figured you didn't really care who wrote it. And it's really, really good. And when I read it, I cried, even though, spoiler, I knew what happened (laughs) to Malcolm X also. I cried. I couldn't believe I cried. I was listening to the end on an audiobook and I was walking Mm. down the street crying over (laughs) Malcolm X, a person Uh who died in 1965. So I don't know. It's very good. Um, Okay, David, do you have at least one book for Teddy? Uh, I'm going to say one that we already mentioned, The Things They Carry. Like it sort of has mm-hmm. all of that stuff in there, even though it's technically fiction. Fiction. Um, but it's sort of written like it's not. Yeah. You know? I think that's a good one. I didn't know it was fiction until like three years ago. I have to be honest. I always thought it was nonfiction. And then I made my husband read it. And then he was like, did you know this was stories? And I was like, nope, had no clue. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, like he so. And that's another thing I liked about, like, because the the meta, the plane with the name, like, it's about a Tim O'Brien that's fictional. Right. He's so I was like, we'll do a a Dave, like, it's a David Dennis, but written by a different Dave, you know. So I kind of like playing with that. But yeah, I think, but you know, there's, it's supposedly, you know, it's fiction, but I'm sure, you know. Yeah. It's stuff that. And it doesn't read like fiction at all. Right. Except for in the fact that it's like got like really beautiful storytelling, but it doesn't feel like out of this world, except for there's one story that sort of does. Anyways. Yeah. Um, okay. Teddy, if you read the books, let us know. Also, anyone else who wants a book recommendation, email askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com. Okay. Now David's turn to tell us about the books he loves. Um, two books you love, one book you hate. One book I love that is on the top of my head is Bird and Cage. 
Mm. Which I really, really liked. Um, Marlon, Marlon Peterson. Yeah, Peterson. He does like such a fantastic job of just like telling, talking about like incarceration. Mm-hmm. It's like he's not trying to convince you of anything. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like he's just telling you what happened. You know, mm-hmm. telling and like you will come to a natural conclusion, but it's not. He doesn't. It, he doesn't like bend himself to make it some sort of argument. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So there's that. And then, um, let's see. I have so many now that I I have in my head that I can't, I'm trying to You have to just pick one. For this moment, it's a book you love. For this moment, um, I'm going to go South to America. Oh, so good. Which is like, Oh my God. Probably, you know, like it's my favorite book so far this year i mean imani's just like a genius you know and it's like like, a perfect human (laughs) yeah like i don't understand how somebody can do those things like i so i like heavy and breathe were like the two biggest sort of influences for this book which Mm -hmm. you know like how to talk to a family member and write about them Mm -hmm. lovingly Mm -hmm. and there was like a three-hour period in my life where like I was like, I'm a, I'm a like do this book like breathe, like it's not gonna be like chapter. I'm just gonna like mm-hmm. weave mm-hmm. these stories in and out. And then I realized I can't fucking do what Imani <laughs> Perry does. Like, I'm like, what do you think you're doing? Like, 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 don't be, don't be stupid. Right, um, right, right. Of course. So no, South America is just like it. I, I listened to it like it was like my listening Same. thing. Um, you know, like going to the gym every morning, like listening to it and doing all that. And it was just like. I think listening to a book like that is probably different than looking at it on the page mm-hmm. because it's like, it's like, like we're on, we're at Gucci Mane, like we're yeah. at Gucci Mane right now. And then, you know, we're at this other place and it's just, it, she just takes you there and it just, you don't even realize that you're on that trip. It's just like fantastic. Uh, I listened to it as well. I actually started reading it off the page and really struggled. And then I, did the audiobook and was like, oh, this works for me now. Okay, what about a book you hate? I don't want to say I hate the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sort of like I'm really sort of sensitive about saying I hate books now because people might, you know, because people are about to start reading my book. You're okay. Um, you can say you hate a book. You know what? I did not like, and this might be a, a hot take, but I did not like the second half of Invisible Man. I've never read it. Really? Okay. Uh-huh. I can't yeah. weigh in. It does sound like a hot take, though, given what I know about it. Yeah, like I was sort of like, (laughs) you know, like I said, I went like I was like, (laughs) it was sort of silly, like looking back on it. I was like, I got to read, you know, like I got to read fiction, you know, I got to like learn how to read. So I was like, let's go to the classics. And so I was like, you know, went back to Invisible Man, which, you know, you sort of read for school. Right. Yeah. And I went back and I was like, man, the second half, like it gets into like, you know, political theory and communism and stuff like that and it just didn't it didn't hold my attention mm. like the first half of the book so okay yeah. what are you reading now um I are am, you able to read right now this week no not really <laughs> like I, I so i is i'm i'm having a hard time keeping my attention on anything okay. you know yeah. like i can like I, I have a weird working like i work while watching shows like okay. i watch my shows in the background and it'll be like, unless it's like, like a, while you're writing, while I'm writing. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, usually I can watch a season of a show and follow it while I'm writing, you know, okay. um, wow. unless it's like a super detailed show, like Ozark, I kind of get lost in something like Ozark. But like now I'm like, I can't concentrate on anything. Like it's so hard. Mm. Like my mind is just thinking about. So it's hard for me to read stuff right mm-hmm. now because I just started thinking about like my book, <laughs> and like my right, stuff right, and right. things like that. But Right now, I am reading Shine Bright, of mm. course. Um, Which, when people listen to this, they will know all about it because it is our book club pick yes. for May. So yes. you guys will already have heard the episode, and you will have heard Danielle on the podcast. Yes, and Danielle is my favorite person in the world. So uh, everyone I know who's ever worked for her with her says that she's like the greatest human on the face of the earth and like the greatest mentor person to ever work for. Is she is. Accurate? Yeah, she was my she was my editor at Undefeated. So when I okay. first got there. And so I worked with Danielle for like three years. 
uh, and Justin Tinsley, who's at, um, you know, at Anscape with me now, his book comes out the same day as mine. Yeah. Um, his, his it's book. called, it was all a dream and it's yeah. about Big E. And yes. I met him at the LA Times Book Festival. Okay, good. And I think we actually talked about you. Okay. Cause I told him to look for you. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I was, you got to meet him. Okay, good. <laughs> and so we, you know, you're, you're a basketball person. So we are like, we say it was like Popovich. It was like being coached by Popovich. Like you just, mm. like she just unlocks these parts of your brain and writing and makes you think about writing in a way that you had never thought of before. And she is just, just has a brain, like watching her in a Google doc. It's like, mm. I don't know what you're doing. Like you're moving <laughs> stuff around and you're asking these questions and she's just like the best. Like she's just the best. And I That's wish true. every writer had could work under Daniel Smith. In normal times when you're not getting ready to release your book, can you read multiple books at once or are you a one book pony? I am. Well, I'm, I read comic books all the time. I like read okay. so many comic books. And so okay. uh, I do like, I'm like the every Wednesday, every Wednesday is comic book day in case you didn't, you know. Oh, is that, is that when comic books come out? Yeah, every Wednesday. And so. I don't know anything about comic books or superheroes. I know exactly zero. I was trying to sneak in a, um, a graphic novel for, for my stack. So and, we've done a graphic novel okay. before on the show. But it was like a literary graphic novel, okay. not like a comic book. Yeah, so I was trying novel. to, so because N.K. Jemison's doing one, does did one that was like really awesome called Far Sector. Mm-hmm. But so I I read tons of comic books every Wednesday, and so obviously you got it. There's overlap because it's a monthly sort of wow. thing. But um, in the book process, what I did to sort of force my, because I read so much more than like I I was always read, I always read like short form, like I was always mm-hmm. training for journalism and thinking about. It, so I wasn't. Doing t- so what I did was I put a book in every different room in my house. Mm. And so whenever I was in the room, I would just grab the book and read it. And so it went through many stages. Like at once I had a different Imani Perry book in every room in the house. <laughs> and then I had a different Mississippi book in every room in the house. And I had a different fiction book at one point and like a different Toni Morrison book. So like that was. That's- did you finish all of those books? Pretty much. Like for the most part, I was able to finish them when I wasn't like. And, you know, like sometimes I had to, di- you know, like I had to read like a bunch of civil rights history books and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But for those, like I was able to finish a good chunk of them, you know, so I'd have are like there- a tablet one and a bunch of physical right. in the in the in the room books. Are there any because when I read your when I finished your book, I was like, I feel like I need to read more books about the civil rights movement. Are there mm-hmm. any books that stand out to you that are like particularly great? Like um, extraordinarily good. I don't want like good. I want like the really great shit. Okay, so coming of age in Mississippi and Moody's book. Okay. I know Imani mentioned that to you when y'all did. The Imani mentioned fed. it. Yeah. So that was that's a really sort of good book, and I I agree with her that like sort of the second half is more civil rights stuff, and so that's that's a really good book. Um, Local people is a good book. When is that? It's on my somewhere around here, but it's, I think it's like it was written in the 90s so it's like the where i got a lot of the stuff on on the local folks like it really sort of helps frame the movement as something that was you know already going on so those are are two those are probably the the two ones that i um referenced a lot or you know went back to a lot because it's partially because the way they they were written they're written you know particularly well stuff how do you like to read if you if it was like your perfect reading setup, where would you be? Would you have snacks and beverages? What's the temperature? What's the weather? What's the vibe? So on this couch right behind me in the office, okay. I like to just sit there and, and read, um, you know, probably like something like I, I need noise. Like so there's something on okay. the TV that's probably it's probably uh, like Food Network. Okay. Um, <laughs> like if, if it's a if it's a. a you know, like was not I, expecting that at all. <laughs> wasn't sure where you were going, but was not expecting. No, if I if I could, if I could meet Guy Fieri, it would be the greatest day of my life. Really, I love Guy Fieri. He just goes. He just drives around. Think about. It, he just drives around yeah. and tells people that their dreams are legitimate. That's all he does, okay. and like okay. tells the people. Well, he also does go get his hair dyed. I think sometimes. Yeah, but the, whatever. But he just, you know, like okay. he does that on on his way. <laughs> he does it on like on the way to like going to like Wisconsin and telling some guy who like has a like grilled cheese 
restaurant that he is the coolest person in the world and like helps okay. him make money. Like there, like there's nothing right, right. like I fell in love with Guy Fieri during the pandemic. But anyway, okay. so like there's there's a lot of Food Network going on, like Food Paradise. That stuff's in the background, and I'm sitting in on my couch and I'm reading my book. I might have okay. a sparkling water, and I'm not a big I don't snack a lot, but sparkling water, couch, Food Network, and I'm reading. And a is book. it a is it a Pellegrino? Because that's what I see you drinking today. Yeah, it's is a that Pellegr- sparkling well, water that it's, you go for. It's whatever you're learning a lot about me today because I am a um, I'm a coupon person. I'm not well. I'm like oh. I'm a I'm a I'm a sale person. So whatever one okay. Costco has for five dollars oh. off, I'm going okay. I'm going to that one. So so no brand loyalty, just no, just, just loyalty to that bank account. Yeah, loyalty to whoever's got the five dollars off. So I have just, probably ahead. about six containers of sparkling waters from various uh, companies <laughs> in my in my garage right now because I hoard from Costco. Honestly, I love this so much. This is the greatest <laughs> answer. It just it's full of surprises. It's really you've taken me on a journey with this one. Uh, are there any genres? I mean, you talked about how you didn't used to really read fiction, but are there mm. any genres or types of books that you particularly avoid or stay away from? Um, I don't think. I've read a single mystery novel mm. ever. Okay. What's a good mystery novel? I don't know, but I, I, I don't know the difference between a mystery and a thriller. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like it's too late for this book, but Gone Girl is sort of my favorite. Thriller. Oh, okay. But I never saw the movie. Oh, my, okay. Then you should read the my, book. My, my wife saw it and she did the like thing. I don't know if you do this. My wife did the thing where she told me everything. Like she comes to the movie theater oh. and tells me everything from beginning to end. But I, I, most, I mostly a forgot. Spoiler. I, I mostly. Well, I was like, I'll never, I'll never watch it. Just tell me. But um, oh. I think I forgot. I forgot most of what happens. Like she, it's like her, like she, set, like sets him up or something like that or something. Spoiler alert, everybody. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyways, it's a really good one, but I don't read a lot of mysteries either. I, I, I do like a thriller, but uh-huh. I usually feel like if I figure it out too early, I'm annoyed. Yeah. And then if I figure it out too late because they didn't actually set it up well, I'm even more annoyed because I'm like, okay, well, you just brought in this other character and they did it. Like, I hate you. Right. Um. I, and I get most of my, like, exciting fiction, you know, like this mystery and the suspense. It's like from, from my comic books. So. Oh, I would say yeah. from TV. Well, yeah, that too. Possibly. I feel like some like I love rom coms, like uh, love rom coms on television, but I just don't read them. Like, right. Yeah. Not like in a movie, but I just don't read them. Like it's just not I don't enjoy them nearly as much off the page as I do like with Matthew McConaughey being charming and mm. like secretly racist. You know what I mean? What's the uh, what's your what's the best rom com ever? I personally love How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Okay. Uh, I also love this is a controversial pick because I don't believe this is a rom com, but maybe it is. I do love Love and Basketball. That's a, yeah, that's right. That counts. That counts. I think that's like borderline. Mm. And I love my best friend's wedding. Okay. That's like the gold standard. Those are yeah. my favorite. I do not like when Harry met Sally, and I don't fucking care what people say. I didn't like that one either. It's boring. It it's is it's not boring. enough charm. Yeah. It's not enough. It's just the one the one scene carried it, you know. Yeah. And I don't like Annie Hall. Yeah, I like I like the like '90s, early 2000s, golden age of rom rom com, because yeah. um, I don't I don't think Soul Food counts as a rom com. Yeah, hey, I don't think so. But yeah. I love that movie. Um, okay, <laughs> not about me. Uh, <laughs> okay, this is sort of our lightning round. So you're gonna okay. tell me, just whatever. I don't know why I call it a lightning round because it's not really. But okay, last book that made you laugh. Mm, um, probably rereading Long Division. Okay. Ugh, long, love division. long division. Yeah. Last book that made you cry? Probably Bird and Cage. Okay. Last book that made you angry? Um, probably some of the parts of Shine Bright and like the erasing of some mm. of these black women. Yeah. Last book where you felt like you learned a lot? South to America. Yeah. Oh my God, so much. Yeah. What's a book you feel proud about having read? Hmm. That's an interesting question. <laughs> Probably, I guess I'm proud of, that I read Invisible Man, maybe. Okay. Like, cause I'm like, I could, you know, you feel like that's one you yeah. can have a good conversation about. You can say you about. read it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My answers are always like really long books. So I'm like, <laughs> I finished. It's never books I actually liked. I'm just like, I read it in Karenina. Give me an award. Right. Are there any books that you're embarrassed that you still have not read? 
Um, man, a, probably a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't, like I said, I just sort of skipped out on fiction for the longest. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading all this Toni Morrison and about midway through The Bluest Eye, I got distracted. Mm, you haven't so finished. I didn't finish it. So it's okay. I got to get through it. So Wait, I can barely hear you. Yeah, I was mumbling, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, he's got to go. I like saw your mouth. Moving. I was mumbling. I was embar- that was my embarrassment manifesting. Oh, in, okay, in that my, was your acting. Sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah. Really good performance. Yeah. Okay, if you were a high school teacher, what's a book you would assign to your students? Well, hopefully the movement made us would be a okay. wonderful. That would be smart. <laughs> All of you teachers out there before it gets banned in Mississippi, that would be wonderful. Um, Do you think it will get banned in Mississippi? I don't think so. I don't think it'll be banned. Well, I mean, so I really want them to change change the name of the Ross Barnett Reservoir. Oh. I really yeah. want them to do that. And so maybe if I start making noise, they'll be like, you know, oh. that, that that might get them, that might have them wanting to do that. But my hope, like, I don't, I know that some, like, I really don't want this book to be banned. <laughs> like, I really no. want high school kids to be reading this book. Um, yeah, I don't want this book to be banned either. Yeah. I don't think but there's I, anything to ban in this. I mean, aside from just like the general people banning like books because they right. tell history, there's it's like, I don't know. I mean, look, I wouldn't put it past. Right. You never know. But there. I would say I would say how the word is passed also. Is mm, of course. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Clint, friend of the stacks. Yeah. Um, OK. My friend first, by the way. I, okay, sorry. Everybody can't go to Davidson. It's a small liberal arts college, so it's only for small amount of people. Just, just you three, you, Clint, and Steph, the three yeah, the, only three people to ever. Only three to people there. who have ever been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah Congratulations. Where is Davidson? I always thought it was in Indiana, but in your book, I feel like you told me it was in like North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, it's right outside, right outside of Charlotte. I have this whole time thought that it was like a Midwest school. Oh, it's because like a mid, it, maybe it's because a mid major. Like people think all mid majors are Midwest schools. Yeah, maybe so, that's why. Yeah, I think right, the mid right is out, really. <laughs> yeah, it's right outside of uh, <laughs> Charlotte, North Carolina. Wonderful, okay. wonderful school. And that's where Steph is from. Yes. Yeah. Somewhere in North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Second to last one. Who would you want to write the book of your life? Oh man, um, who would I want to write the book of my life? Um, you know, if I were being, you know, pie in the sky, I would say Jasmine Ward. Go ahead, right? Jasmine now. Ward. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Because she, you know, she's sort of like, you know, like Regina King as a director. Like she writes mm-hmm. about, like they know how to get at this heart of black men in a way mm-hmm. that, like, mm-hmm. a lot of folks don't. So yeah. Okay, last one. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would you want it to be? Mm, I don't know. Is there a book on, on like canceling student loans? Like what's the book? What is there a book out there? That's there like- are some books. There's that book. Well, I know Tressie McMillan Cottom's first book is about mm. like higher education. I think it's called higher ed or maybe it's called lower ed, something okay. like that. Uh. But then there's another book that just came out about student loan debt that I think whoever wrote it is a friend of Clint's actually. Okay. Oh, um, um, Adam Harris's book, um, yeah. The State Will Provide. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that about higher education and like... Yeah, sort of like, yeah, like funding higher education and stuff. Yeah. But I don't know if... I haven't read it, obviously. <laughs> you couldn't <laughs> tell by that really specific endorsement. Um, all right. You did it. You passed. You're going to be back Wednesday, June 29th. We are discussing White Negroes, When Cornrows Were in Vogue, and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation by Lauren Michelle Jackson. I love this book. Mm. I am really excited to talk to you about it because I know that you talk and think about onlineness and blackness and culture a lot. So I feel like we're going to have a very robust discussion. So everybody get your copy of the book. You can also get The Movement Made Us wherever you get your books. It's out now. Gabrielle Union and Steph Curry have publicly posted about this book. So if you don't get it and then don't post about it, like, wow, what a mistake on your part. You're not in the Illuminati. You don't get- You're not going to be at the Met Gala. Let me tell (laughs) you that. Okay? You're you're not going to be at the NBA Finals. You're not going to be anywhere that you want to be. So you should go get this book. Maybe support your local indie but I don't really care. Maybe if you can't afford it, talk to your library, make sure they have copies. David, 
Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I was I was excited to do this and a little nervous, but I'm happy we, we it was good. You did it. You did great. And please tell your dad a big fan over here. Big yeah, fan. I'll I'll let him know. I'll let yeah, him know. Let him know. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, that does it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to David for being my guest. I'd also like to thank Rachel Alinsky for helping to coordinate this interview. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for June is White Negroes, When Cornrows Were in Vogue and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation by Lauren Michelle Jackson. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, June 29th with David Dennis Jr. If you love this show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.